morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm so excited and glad you're here. I hope you're uh, excited about the two days of fall we've had. We'll be back to summer later today. Yeah, we'll take it when we can get it. Have you noticed the beautiful food truck, the food truck, cook trailer out front? Have you noticed that? Yeah, through the generosity of, of one of our church members giving above and beyond to say that we need to have a tool for ministry that has been provided for us. And a ministry it's going to be as we feed people here in Wimberley, as we feed y'all in Wimberley, as we feed people caught in disasters, that truck, that trailer is not just a place to cook burgers and hot dogs or whatever we choose to cook, but it's a place to serve the love of Jesus. Aren't you excited about that? Isn't it beautiful? Go take a tour of it. Sign up to serve in it, and let's make a difference uh, for King Jesus. Uh, this is an exciting day, an exciting day because I want to share with you probably something that, um, well, theologians have wrangled with. I-, I talked to my brother the other day, my brother who's the chief theologian, and I told him what I was going to preach on. He goes, this way he said, you know what? I've never thought of it that way. And I went, whoops. But he said, but I think you're right. So I'm going to take you on an adventure day in God's word that may be something that you've never thought of that way before, and perhaps we might be right as God does something. But I want to say this to you. Your story matters. Just like Jacobian shared his story, and we love that guy. We, we love to see what God's doing in him, and your generosity and your love has made that possible for literally hundreds of students down at Gary Job Corps. It's really exciting. That your, my story matters. Your story matters. We need to tell our story of how God is working in and for and through us. But I want to take you back in time, back to the early 1800s, back before Texas was Texas. And I want to show you a photograph. Here's this photograph. You see that? That is a, a pen and ink of a famous encounter. The man seated is Andrew Jackson. The man standing there in the Indian uh, native, the native head uh, gear and all that, he, that is a guy named Chief Red Eagle. He was the chief of the Creek Indian Nation. Have y'all heard the uh, statement, uh, Lord willing and the creeks don't rise? It wasn't talking about the, the water, it was talking about those Indians right there. That's what I was talking about, the Creek Indians. The Creek Indians were part of the seven civilized tribes that, that, that came to southeastern United States They had their own language, they had their own system of government, and uh, they were very sophisticated. And then when the westward expansion came, they were being forced out. Andrew Jackson tried to genocide the Creeks. He tried to kill them all. At the Battle of Horseshoe Bend, literally, his men stood on the banks of the Tallapoosa River and shot women and children in the river because they believed that the Indian people, the Creek Indian people, were not human. That guy standing there with the Indian headdress on and his skirt and his boots, he had an English name as well. His English name was William Henry Weatherford. That is my ancestor. And that brave act that day, him confronting Jackson about genocide, he looked at it as an act of courage for he rode into Jackson's camp with a deer strapped on his back, a back of his horse, a deer he had killed, threw it down to feed the men, of of Jackson's army, went in and confronted Jackson about his bellicose behavior. Jackson stopped the genocide movement, and then there was the Trail of Tears, the deportation of the Creek Indians from Alabama all the way up into Oklahoma. Weatherford didn't know that his act that day would ripple into eternity. He did not know that his ancestors would fill out Oklahoma and even in Texas 
and still many of them live in, in Alabama. In fact, I had some people who, uh, when I was pastoring in Alabama, they went down to the Creek Indian Reservation in Alabama. They came back and said, there's a whole bunch of people who look just like you right down there. <laughs> Wonder why? Now, I think about this, this heroic act, and I'm, I, I looked a lot for this pen and ink. It hangs in my office. Because I want to be reminded that my actions of today ripple into the eternity of tomorrow. In 100 years from now, no one will know that I have lived. But will they know Jesus because I have lived? Very, very possible that if Weatherford had not stood up to Jackson, I would not be your pastor today. But because he did, eternity was changed. What are you going to do to influence eternity? The songs we sang this morning were very intentional. To paint a picture and open your heart to something that's very true. We were not born to just survive. We are made to what? To thrive. And you thought we were just singing songs. We don't ever just sing songs around here. We want our music to match our message and our hearts to be filled with God's wonder and his grace and his mercy and his truth that we might live differently. I hope and pray you never think about attending church, something that's obligatory, but I hope you believe that being a part of the church is something that changes the world. But it has to change in our hearts and our lives. Your life matters. Now, I unashamedly stole this from the University of Texas. My condolences to the Longhorns. The Sooners will not boast in this place. Yeah, they will. UT says what starts here changes the world. But what I say is what starts here changes eternity. What starts here changes eternity. Do you believe that? Many of your eternal destinies have been altered from a devil's hell to a glorious presence with Christ forever. Some of you are still waiting on that decision, and we wait with you. But I ask you this. I've stated over these last two weeks that every decision becomes a destiny, and I ask this, what are you deciding about today? What is your story going to tell? Today we're going to talk about sharing the love of Christ in word and in deed. We're going to talk about <clears throat> how God wants us to live to change the world and how I want to challenge you from Scripture about really what that means and how we could best live that out. Now, we have five life commitments we live out around here. Connection, connecting with God and each other. Growing, growing to be like Christ in character, word and deed. Uh, serving, serving God by serving others. And this is Love Week in Wimberley, where we're asking you to infiltrate this valley with the love of Jesus through acts of kindness and compassion. I hope you're excited about that and signed up about that. Some of y'all are looking at me like calves at a new gate. We've only talked to you about it for the last six weeks. So I can't imagine how you missed it. Yeah, I can. I've been a pastor for 38 years. I know exactly how you miss it. You just do. But I want to encourage you not to... Uh, not to torment you. Well, maybe torment just a little bit. And then share the love of God in word and deed, serving and sharing. And then finally, that's a life of worship or a life of honoring God. Worship is more than attending a gathering and singing songs. Worship is Jesus, I'm yours. And so these five life commitments really measure out who we are and how we believe we change the world. And we've also said this, we believe a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. 
Now, I'm going to Nicaragua at the end of this week. I'll be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and, and then coming home on Monday. Dr. Richard Cheatham is preaching next Sunday, so you'll be in good shape, all right? Does that make y'all happy? Yeah, okay, good. Glad we have Dr. Cheatham. Y'all, that was too enthusiastic of an applause you would. You should go, oh, Pastor Scott's not going to be here. I guess Dr. Cheatham will have to do. Okay, yeah, whatever, all right. And I'll be teaching these concepts to about 400 pastors in Nicaragua next week. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? But I want to talk to you about this. We believe that the great commitment to the great commandment, the great commission will grow a great church. Also know that our commitment is about being healthy as a church. We're, it's none of our business how big this church is. It's our business how healthy this church is. Have y'all got that? Healthy things grow. Sometimes things swell because they're not healthy. We don't want to swell, y'all. We want to grow to be like Christ, right? So we want to be healthy and let God determine the size. So with that said, there's two, these two statements, the Great Commandment, the Great Commission. I want to walk you through this. Let me read them for you. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's what Matthew said. Now Luke, was, uh, Luke records this as well, that Jesus asked one of the Pharisees or scribes or something, he asked him, he said, what are the great commandments? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what he said. Because obviously this guy had heard Jesus say this before and repeated this. Of course, that's the great commandment. And then the great commission is this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commandments I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, often when we talk about our life commitments, we talk about these commandments and this commission. But today I want to show you this. I want to show you how the great commission of God, going to all the world and preach the gospel, is really the fulfillment of the great commandment of God to love God, and to love people. And so as we see this, we can see a formula, or I'm going to be bold enough to say a mandate of how we should live to change the world. Are you all ready for this? Father, thank you for what you're going to say this morning, and I pray that you speak through me. That will not be my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth that will lead us to really understand how we're to launch the love of ministry and how do we are to live with passion and contagiously sharing the love of God in word and deed. So Father, I pray that you will speak through me. That will not be my words or my thoughts, but your truth that leads these people to make decisions that change eternity. For what starts here changes eternity. Let us change the world through your love. And we pray this in your strong name. Amen. Amen. Now go ahead and take out your notes. You want to jot some things down. And here's some things I want to just set into parameters for you. We get so confused. We get so confused. Why do you live? Why do you live? Some people think they live to make money. Some people think they live to make a name for themselves. Some people think they, they live just to live, just to get by. But we're not made this. We're, we're born we're to live to love God. That's why you live, to love God. The great Westminster Catechism said, God created us that we might love him and he might love us. 
That's a paraphrase of that catechism. That this is what we were made to love God. That's how you, why you were created. Now, let, me, let me read. Let me just kind of unpack this for you. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And I'll read that and I go, that's a lot. And what God is saying to us is he doesn't want half-hearted devotion. Half-hearted devotion is not devotion at all. Partial obedience is disobedience. Wow. Tara says that to me all the time. Partial obedience is disobedience. In fact, delayed obedience is disobedience. Did you know that? When you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, are you delaying doing it? Have you obeyed? No. She taught me another thing this week. I love my kindergarten teacher wife. This is what she said. I'm going to say it to y'all. You get what you get, so don't pitch a fit. You like that? You get what you get, so don't pitch a fit. So you go get this sermon today, so don't pitch a fit. But I love that thought. Created to have a love relationship with God. That's why I was created. God created me to love me. God created you to love you. That's why he created you. You want, you, well, you want to know your purpose? Your purpose is to, for God to love you and you to love him back. And how do you love him back? You give him your life. That's how you love him back. That you give him your life. That it's not about you. It's not about how you feel or what you think or what you want. It's about God. And as God works in your life, you know what he does? He gives you fulfillment. He gives you peace. He gives you joy. He gives you hope. And he gives you the promise of eternity. Wow. All he wants you to do is to love him. And love is a decision based on commitment. It's not an emotion or a feeling, even though it brings strong emotions and strong feelings. It starts with the decision. The decision to say, I'm going to do this. You have to remember this, y'all. We're both logical and emotional. Do y'all remember that? And so you have an intellectual capacity, but you also have an emotional capacity. And that's why God created us. If you're emotionally disconnected, that's called sociopathic. That you, you have the inability to, to feel or express love, to feel love. If you're, if you're totally emotional, then you become probably schizophrenic where your emotions are driving everything about you. God wants you to be both, uh, uh, logical and emotional. And he wants you to blend those together to make a decision to love him that he fills you with the feelings of love, the feelings of hope, the feelings of peace, the feelings of contentment based on the decision of the logic. The mind grows and the heart feels. And this is how God wants us to love. And this love of God is displayed. It's not just pontificated, it's displayed. How's it displayed? You got up this morning, didn't you? It's displayed. You saw the sunrise this morning, didn't you? Well, some of you theoretically saw it rise. Some of you will see it set this evening. Some of you watched the meandering of the Blanco River carve its way through our limestone hills, making such incredible beauty, haven't you? God loves you. God, you could walk out nestled in, in this valley. This church facility sits nestled in this beautiful valley that God has chosen for us to dwell in. He loves us through the display of nature, but it's also displayed because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, that God just didn't tell us he loves us, he showed us. He just didn't give us the, the signs of nature, he showed us. 
He showed us by dying for us that we who were lost in our trespasses and sins may be found in his righteousness, that we may be made right with him. The broken, the maligned, the, the disjointed, and the far away has been brought near by the love of God as displayed on the cross of Calvary. Wow! It's a displayed love. I, I think that deserves an amen or something. Amen. That God has loved you this much. And then I look at this, and that Christ did this for us, uh, uh, to us. And, and he also, get this, because Christ has demonstrated his love for me on the cross I can love you. I can love you. Not just in theory, not just intellectually, but emotionally. Now, sometimes it's easier to love y'all intellectually than it is emotionally, y'all. Especially when you get what you get and don't pitch a fit, and you pitch a fit because what you get. Y'all with me? And I think about these things, and I think about how God has given us the ability to live in a family that we get to choose because God has chosen us. Pretty incredible. But how do I love God? Let's, let's pull on that a little bit. Y'all want to pull on that a little bit? Okay, that's three of you. That's enough. I love him with my heart, all my heart. And that's the center of my emotions, that I feel the love for him. You know what I call that? I call that being connected to God to be connected with him through a relationship with Jesus Christ that I literally, we say this, give your hearts to Jesus. Why do we say that? Because it's some pretty fa uh, phrase that preachers have invented. Now I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and I want you to give your heart to Jesus. Now you literally can't reach in and rip it out and say, Jesus, here it is. That'd be a short commitment level, right? But what, what they're saying is Jesus said, I want you to have the center of your emotion to, to have a feeling of love and compassion for me. I want you to be connected. And when you're connected to me, you have to be connected to your body, your family, because a Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan. You need connection. Then love him with my soul. And that's the center, get this, of my life direction. The only thing that's going to live forever by Scott Weatherford is my soul. And so I want to love him with my soul. In other words, I want my life's direction to be towards Jesus. Not towards my self-indulgence, not towards my egocentric self-fame, but to Jesus. That I need to love him with my heart. That's the center of my emotions that I'm connected to him, but I want to love him with my soul. And that's the eternal direction of my life. And you know what I call that? I call that living a life of sharing the love of God. That if he's the direction of my life, that my life is to live to make Jesus famous in word and deed. And then I want to love him with my mind. And that's the center of my intellect. That I, I want my mind to grow to have the mind of Christ so I can see like Jesus, think like Jesus, speak like Jesus, hear like Jesus, have the mind of Christ. I want my mind to grow. I want to love him with my mind. I want to know all there is to know about him. I want to be a theologian. Not a theologian in word but a theologian in heart and in action. Not a theologian with a lot of letters behind my name, but a theologian who practically lives this out to give his life all for Jesus. Now get this. Dr. Darrell Eldridge was here during our Building Lives Conference. He's the, he is the president of Rockbridge Seminary, and he was here with the display. And I asked Darrell, I said, hey, because I don't have an earned doctorate. I don't. Uh, my brother has. My brother is the pig with the curl in his tail. 
I'm a straight tail pig, okay? But I asked doctor, I said, you know, do you guys offer a, a doctor? He goes, yeah, we do. I said, you know, maybe I should sign up. He turned, I said, why? Why would you want to do that? I said, well, I want to be a doctor. He says, so people call you Dr. Scott? He said, that's ridiculous. And he turned and walked off. It's not about a PhD or a THD or whatever doctorate degree. And I'm not dismissing all of this. I'm so proud of those who've done that academic pursuit. I am. I'm a bit jealous as well. But it's about loving God with my intellect that I can be all he wants me to be. Y'all have heard a guy named uh, A.W. Tozer? Do you know he had zero academic education? None. He's given multitudes of honorary doctorates. They're called DDs. It stands for didn't do it. (laughs) Maybe I'll get one of those one day. But it's not about the accolades of men, but it's about the direction of my mind. I want to love Jesus with my mind. Don't you? Yeah, that's two of you. That's exciting. That's, That's spiritual growth. But I want to love you with my devotion. I will love you with my devotion. That means I want to keep all of his commandments. I want to live like Jesus. And I want to live like Jesus with my devotion is that I want to serve. You see, intellectual capacity and a heart that's aligned and a life that's centered by him, if it's not serving God by serving others, then it's just taking up space. But do you see all of these things are connected with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, that I live all for Jesus, that I live for him in such a way. Listen to what John said. This is Jesus actually speaking. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Oh. If I accept his commandments to love God and love people, those are the ones who love me. Because the love of Christ is demonstrated. And because they love me, my Father will love them. It's not conditional, where God says, I'm going to love you if you do this. It's not works-based. It's not. God loves us unconditionally. But he loves them, listen, and will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Some of you are wondering why you don't know what God has for you is because you've not obeyed what God has asked of you. The hindsight of God's will usually is discovered in obedience. I obey him, and I look back, and go, oh, that was God's will. And many of you are struggling to find the will of God because you've become myopic and self-focused and said, God, what is your command for me? And as I live out that command, he reveals himself to me. Oh, that's how it works. Now, why do I love God in the first place? Why would I want to ever love God? I mean, can I just play some kind of religious game with him and not really love him? Well, I love him because he saved me. He, he took me, a hell-bound degenerate, and he saved me. We, we were talking the other day about you know, we've been showing testimonies every week during the This Is Us because we want you to see that we're not just trying to build a building around here. We're, just try, we're trying to build people, people like Jacobian, people 
other people that have been on the screen giving their testimony. And, and one of our staff people said to me, well, Pastor Scott, we really don't want to share your testimony because it's kind of boring. I went, okay. I was listening very politely. So, you know, you got saved at seven. You felt the first call to ministry at nine. You felt the second call at 15. Then you, you know, by 23, you were serving the church with, you know, you got finished seminary and you're, you're serving, you've been a pastor for 30. That's just kind of boring. <laughs> and as they were saying, I was thinking, you don't know what was going on as God was busy building a temple for himself out of the rough timbers of my soul and as he continues to build that temple because my story ain't done because I ain't dead. Wow. Does my story of redemption have to be dramatic in order for it to be effective? No. Because whether you were far away from God or the kid that grew up in church, you were still lost and Jesus saved you. There's only one kind of person, and that's a sinner, and Jesus loves sinners. And he saved us. I love reading in the Gospels about Jesus walking on the water. In fact, I've been to the Sea of Galilee many times, about five times, and we stop the boat, and then I, I teach the Bible lesson about Jesus walking on the water right in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. That is awesome. Some of y'all have been there, done that with me. It is awesome. Stop the boat, and I tell the story. And one thing I always say, you know what? Those disciples watched Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. He just fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. But they didn't worship him until he saved them that night walking on the water. They didn't worship him until he saved them. And you will not worship Jesus until he saves you. You might know about him. You might think he's a great guy, an amazing historical figure. But when he saves your sin-soaked soul, he, you'll worship him. And so that's why I worship him. He saved me. Yeah, I was a seven. You know, I will tell you something. Now, don't let your theological minds go. He's still saving me. He's still saving me. And one day when he calls me home, he'll be done saving me for I will be saved with him forever. Of course, we have words, justification, sanctification, glorification, but it doesn't matter about those words. Do you know Jesus first loved me? He loved me before I knew him. He loved you before, before, uh, before you, you knew anything about him. Before you were twinkling in your daddy's eye, Jesus was loving you. Before he created the world, he was loving you. Listen to what Pastor John says. This is real love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Oh, I am drawn to him through the power of the Holy Spirit to love him. And when I decide to embrace that love, that decision changes me and it changes my eternity. And then I can love you. Then I can love my neighbor. Because I've been greatly loved, I can love greatly. And the most loving thing I can do is to introduce you to Jesus Christ and to meet your needs when you're hurting or hopeless or you just need somebody to reach out to you. I share the love of God in word and deed and I serve God by serving others. Do y'all get that? Now, listen to this. I will say this and I don't want it to be offensive, but I want it to be challenging. A Christian 
without a church family is what? An orphan. A Christian without a ministry is miserable. Is miserable. Why do we do launch the Love Week in Wimberley this week? Because we want you to not be miserable. We want you to find a place of ministry. Because a Christian without a ministry is miserable. Most of the whining and complaining I hear are from people who are not engaged in ministry. Because when you're engaged in ministry, you're too busy to be negative. It just got real quiet. Hmm. But my problem is I'm selfish and I'm lazy and I want people to serve me, but that's not Jesus. But you said, well, you know, I would, I would serve God by serving others. I would love my neighbor as myself. Who's my neighbor? Uh, who, wh- who am I supposed to love? I'm supposed to love people just in the church. And this is where, y'all, this is where we've gotten it so wrong, especially in Baptist churches. And I've been a Baptist all my life. We got it so wrong. We think the church exists for us. And you, we think we're some kind of social club without a golf cl- course, a golf club without a, without a golf course. That's worthless. It's what we think. It's about us, about us, about us. Let me say this. Every ministry we have in this church is not about us. It's about others. It's about others. We are not to be self-centered and self-focused. It's about others. And it's open to everyone. Our small groups that meet off campus and on campus, anybody can come, can't they? You don't have to like have some kind of secret handshake or you know, a sign or whatever. (laughs) Don't, do you? I know I forgot the rest of them. Hooks, frogs, birds, all that stuff. But there's some barriers to me to really understand who my neighbor is. Let me tell you who these bar- what these barriers are. Racism. I don't want to love people who aren't just like me. So I'm going to be racist. Or legalism. You know, when they get their life together, I'm going to do something for them. Really? Are you the barometer of someone's life being together? And then there's elitism. Well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. At least I'm not like him or her. And I have to remove those barriers from my life by letting the love of God who's transformed me to show me that I need to live with a heart that's open to people, no matter who they are or what they've done or what they've become. How do I do this? have to be available. have to be available. God is not impressed with the number of Bible studies you attend every week. He's not. Now, he wants you to be involved, obviously. I'm not saying you shouldn't. You should. But if you're just studying God's Word to know God's Word and not live God's Word, then you're pursuing something that really isn't effective. Is that clear? So I have to be available Maybe I need to clear some of my schedule in order to be available, to be intentional, to build relationships of intentionality, not projects, but to really love people. Tara and I have done a bit of this this week about really being intentional to love people and to accept them and to talk to them where they are. People that 
you would never think would ever show up at a First Baptist church. I told him, I said, we are not your typical First Baptist church. Amen? We want to be a lighthouse, a place, a hotel for sinners. Uh, not, a, a hotel, not a hotel for, for sinners, but a hospital for sinners. I get it right in a second. <laughs> Some of y'all going, whoo, I'll have room service right here. Papa likes it upgrade, right? Okay, yeah. Wow. We have to be ready. We have to be ready. Ready to share our hope. And friends, don't let friends miss heaven. Friends don't let friends miss heaven. To be inclusive, welcome people into our gatherings, into our groups, and everything we do is about loving people. Meet needs. The gospel is both social and theological. To meet needs. To see a need, to meet a need. Without judging whether or not the need is what I think it should be. But if there's a need, if somebody's hungry, we should feed them. If someone's naked, we should clothe them. If someone is sick, we should visit them. If someone's in prison, we should go to them. If someone has a need, we should. If someone needs a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, we ought to be pulling the rope on the well. To see a need, meet a need. Not to call the pastor and say, hey, I see a need. Pastor, now, some of y'all have discovered this when y'all come to me and you say, Pastor, we need to start a ministry, fill in the blank. And I say, congratulations, you're in charge, right? Because I got enough to do. And to see a need and meet a need. To good, do the good that needs doing and share the love that needs sharing. We have this great opportunity this week to do that. This week to do that. So what does that have to do with the gospel changing the world? Everything. Paul said this way in Romans, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentiles. If I love God, then I have to, to love what he loves, and he loves people. God loves people. Dear friends, let's continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. So I have a personal responsibility and we have a church responsibility to love people. We are currently building strategic partnerships with other entities all over the world, in other words, so we could love people. Partnerships with Baptist agencies, the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, uh, our seminaries, partnerships with, with them, uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary has got a new president. They invited me to a reception to, in his honor. I cannot go for I'll be in Nicaragua chain, training pastors. I was honored with the invitation. My alma mater, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, has a new president. I wrote him a letter of encouragement. We want to be a church that encourages our entities. Wouldn't you agree with that? But we also want to build relationships with others, with other groups that are doing the good in the world. And we want to have partners with church-to-church -church partnerships. That's why we have a partnership church to church with Mario Castro from Costa Rica, from our pastor friends in Cuba, from uh, Pastor Oswaldo in upstate New York, uh, from Pastor Arturo in, in, in Colorado, Pastor Arturo in, um, in California. We have these partnerships, and I could go on and on with these partnerships, these networks that we're building intentionally, pastors locally that we have relationships like Jonathan Lefwich at Fellowship of Plum Creek, a dear brother of mine, and we have a fellowship relationship with them. The guys at First New Braunfels, the guy at First, at First Kyle, I mean, the relationships are rich because we want to intentionally do that as a church, but we have to intentionally do this as a people. 
This strategy is based on reaching people for Christ, resourcing needs, not necessarily monetarily, but resourcing needs and reaching and building vital relationships to bring God's peace. And my friends, this is the great commission on display. And this great commandment propelled by the great commission, because I love God, I love people, I will go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. I will rescue and I will rebuild and I will restore. Why? Because of this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against the enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he'll give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. Now listen to this church. In their righteousness, your righteousness that Jesus has given you, the shared righteousness I talked about last week, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Wow. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities long destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they've been deserted for many generations. Because of this, God has placed within your heart, some of your hearts, a particular passion for a ministry or a people group. Go into the world and preach the gospel. God has placed ministries on your hearts, like to widows and to children or to students, or to, to, to repair and to, to assist and to care, because God has done this. Go into the world and do the good that needs doing. Why in the world do we have a food trailer? So we can go into the world and do good that needs doing. That's why. Not to be cool. Not that we need more caloric enhancement. But to go into the world and do the good that needs doing. This is why we do this. Allow God to use me relationally. People come to Jesus best of the arm of a trusted friend. Allow God to, to, to use me to fund the mission, to give to the mission called the church. I give to this church because it's the mission of God. Tara and I have been praying about what are we going to give above and beyond to the This Is Us uh, campaign that we're in now to expand our facilities. And we prayed and we've decided and we're going to give. And we both looked at each other and said, we had the same number, by the way. We had the same number. And I, and I said to her, and she said to me, I said, are, are, you, are you sure? You know, we're old. We're going to have to retire one day. Are you sure? We're going to have to live on a fixed income. But I want to tell you something. Your fixed income is fixed by your heavenly father, not by your annuity. <laughs> Just so you know. And we prayed about this. This is why we're doing this to reach people no one else is reaching. This is why we're making these commitments. To engage beyond my comfort. To say, I'm not going to be comfortable where I am. I'm going to invade. I'm going to engage locally and globally. Y'all, I'm going to Nicaragua. I am not taking Tara because Nicaragua is a great place to get abducted. Did you know that? It is not safe. But I feel very confident. If somebody abducts me, they will return me very quickly. What were we thinking? Yeah. 
Mm. But we're going to do the good that needs doing. And I'm excited about that. We're going to engage beyond our comfort. We're going to share our story. It's powerful. People need to hear your story. My ancestor, Red Eagle, he confronted one of the most powerful men in the world to take care of his people. I don't know if he loved God. Probably not, because he massacred 525 people one afternoon at Fort Mims. That being aside, <laughs> his courage made a difference for his people. Will your courage make a difference for King Jesus? Every decision becomes a destiny. And maybe today is the day to make a decision. I'm going to conclude with this quote from Albert Einstein. Everything one thinks of changing the world, but few think of changing themselves. It starts with you and it starts now. Fulfill the great commandment by living out the great commission.